that is not, you know, so lofty and high where I can't communicate or understand it, but things that I can really do and take and apply to our lives. And so today's sermon is called Justice in an Imbalanced World. Justice in an Imbalanced World. And we already know it because we've talked about it every week that Proverbs is a book on wisdom. It's a book that is trying to give us that practical wisdom that I was just talking about. We've established that, but we also have to realize that it is a book about personal revelation. You know, so the wisdom that we're getting as we read and listen through these sermons is not just, okay, this is how I see the world, but it's also revelation to help me understand, okay, not only is this how I should see myself, but this is also possibly how God sees me as well. So what have we learned about ourselves? Are we learning about ourselves? First, do I wisely view the world around me? I think that's a good question to start with. As a Christian, as a believer, do I look around the world and do I wisely see it the way God intends for me to see it? On one hand, I don't want to be a Christian who is overly enthusiastic about the state of the world, but then I also don't want to be the kind of Christian who's too jaded in their view of the world and thinks there's no purpose for me in the world. And so what Proverbs is, is about wisdom, is about revelation, but it's about balance. How has God actually called me to exist in the world, to view the world, to live as a Christian where I don't feel like I have to be polarizing on either end, which is a lot of times what we get from people. I want the balance to see things the way that God sees it. So there is revelation of the world around me, but then I also need revelation for myself. Who am I? And it works the same way. I don't want to be self-righteous, but I also don't want to be self-deprecating. I don't want to think I'm holier than anybody else, but I also don't want to think I'm worse than anybody else. What we need is balance, a balanced view of ourselves. And that is as much the wisdom that this book offers as anything. So one component of our faith that tends to trip many of us up is understanding in the face of injustice in our world. Where and how should we direct our frustrations about all of the injustices that we see? How do we address those as believers? But let me pre-warn you before we get going. If you're here, this is not a case where all of us get to think that I am personally this beacon of benevolence and goodness and every injustice and wrong happens and is wrong because I'm always right. That's, that's not what we're talking about today. It's probably really the opposite. I actually want to get in and let's chisel down in our hearts and in our minds this idea that every injustice is an offense to me because what might be an injustice to you may be justice for everybody else. And you actually, even though you are a Christian, still might be in the wrong. So what I hope that we do today is we can reconfigure, like, where am I in space and in time? And how does God actually see me? But the peek into truth today that we will take will be in realizing that I personally may contribute more than I think to the uneven and imbalanced scales in this world. And so to do that, we're going to look at one small text out of Proverbs 
to understand is Proverbs 11 and 1, short text. It says this, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, already as we get ready to jump into the word, um, as we prepare to get into the word, um, that you're going to open our minds, God, open our hearts, our spiritual ears, our eyes, God, and help us see with clarity, help us see with balance, God. Lord, there are a lot of people who are preaching self-inflating sermons, sermons that make us feel better about who we are and that we're doing everything right, but God, that may not be a balanced view. That may not be a just view. And what we want, God, is to weigh everything out the way you weigh it out, to see the world the way you've called us to see the world and to be in the world the way you've called us to be in the world. Help us do that today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a short, pithy text, but it is telling us quite a bit of information, even in that short verse. Maybe if we understood the context a little better before I get started, I think that'll probably help. So as Solomon writes this, and he's talking about weights, and he's talking about balances, you have to understand that in the time that he lived, whenever you made a deal, whenever you made a trade, whenever you made a sale, tradition, the way that you made sure that all the scales were properly weighted out is that you literally took whatever was sold to you, traded to you, and you would weigh it out on a scale. You want to make sure that however you however you traded, it was an even trade. This is no different than now if you go to Publix and you want to get some fruit or some vegetables and they're charging you by the weight. And if you're like me, you get stuff that look bigger than it is so that, you know, it weighs a little bit less, but you still want as much as you can get because I have no control over the scales. But in that same context, with that same perspective, there is a scale. And what would happen as with any opportunity for anybody in business where there can be justice, that's the point of the scale, where there can be righteousness, the point of the scale, there's always the opportunity for injustice. There's always opportunity for unrighteousness. And what would often happen is that people who were making these sales or making these trades, whenever they would weigh these things out, what they would do is, without the knowledge of the person buying or trading with them, they would manipulate the scales. And they would manipulate it in such a way so it looked like they were selling or giving more than what they actually were. And so they would jack up the prices and they would manipulate the scales to get more money for the people by giving them less than what they thought they had. And so, yeah, we hear this and we say, you know, imbalanced scales and an abomination to the Lord. We think, well, that's a pretty weird description, but you've got to understand what's going on here. It's not just about measuring, right? It's not just about how you measure a transaction. And I do think it's actually ironic that in all the things that Christians want to talk about, being abominations, nobody ever talks about the fact that injustice is an abomination to the Lord. Nobody ever says that. And then it's like, okay, if, if this is such an, an abomination, maybe it's because it's pervasive in its effects. Injustice doesn't just affect the person in that moment and in that time. 
injustice, false scales, and the like permeate through all of our world from the small to the large scale, and that is why it is an abomination. So there are three ways that this affects every single one of us, possibly in ways that we don't even realize quite yet, and we're going to start with number one. So in three ways, the first one is this. As a Christian, I unjustly judge myself. That's the first point. When you think about scales, when you think about weights, when you think about injustice, first thing you need to think about is I unjustly judge myself. First thing. What has been the refrain from the last few weeks? Every time we come to Proverbs, I say it. Bible keeps telling us your heart is deceptive. You think you know your motivations. You think you know your intentions, but you don't. You think you can weigh your heart out, but you're using an uneven scale. And it's made this point very clear. Only God can weigh out the heart. Only God knows what your real true motivations are. Even you don't know them at times. And so the warning is, is in myself, even as a believer, I cannot adequately view myself the way that God views me. In other words, if I can put it simply, when it comes to me and my life, I tend to manipulate the weights and the scales. I don't weigh things out the way I do for others when it comes to me. When it comes to my sins and my offenses and my faults and my shortcomings, I can see very clearly in everybody else. But I don't tend to see that as clearly in myself. And so I don't know if this applies to anybody in here, but when I lie, I don't lie because I'm a sinner. I lie because, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any other choice. Or... When I lie, it's okay because I don't usually sin. I don't usually tell lies, so I can lie this time. I'm lying on credit. We got a lot of credit. We got sin-free credit. I can afford a few lies. Everything that I would condemn somebody else for, I find an excuse for in myself. Y'all, this is the ultimate deception, but it also drives a wedge in between us and God. Because what it does is it does not give God room to actually judge our hearts. I have already decided without God's judgment that I'm not as bad as everybody else. They do wrong and they sin because they are evil. But when I do wrong and when I sin, it's because, well, they are evil. You you see, they do that because they're bad. I do what I do because they're bad, too. And it's affecting the way I live. It hinders us when we see life this way. It prevents us from actually growing in Christ, from being sanctified in him, because we are not convinced that there are sins in us that even need to be confessed before the Lord. I don't know if we realize how prominent confession is in our faith. 
but we know Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you believe in your heart, but also confess with your mouth, you cannot have a belief in God that you say is redemptive, that is all-saving, but not also confess that you're a sinner. It doesn't work that way. And what is often disappointing is how Christians, as they grow in maturity, become less confessional. But the strongest Christians I know are, to themselves, the weakest people. Because the more in tune and the closer you get to God, the clearer the image of God becomes to you, the holiness of Christ, also the clearer you start to see yourself. And when you start to get closer and closer to that image, you realize, I don't look as good as I thought I did when compared to Christ. Now, when I compare myself horizontally to others, I look amazing. I look great. I don't have as many flaws. I don't have as many sins. I don't have as many shortcomings. I'm not as short-tempered. But when I compare myself to Christ and pure, sinless holiness, I am terrible. <laughs> And I think this is really what the, str the struggle is, right? If you are not comparing yourself to Christ, then you can't be growing in Christ. And so if I don't believe as a Christian that I really have sins that really need to be confessed, then even if people do call me out on them, even if people do see them, I'm so convinced that it's everybody else and not me that I don't even listen to what they say. And to think that I am God's exception. <laughs> Y'all, that is the epitome of using an inconsistent measurement. And in my walk with Christ, the people who I've known who have had the greatest falls it wasn't that they didn't know that what they were doing was wrong. It's they, they actually really did think that they could do good stuff on credit and that because they were doing good deeds, that God would discredit the bad stuff that they were doing. And that is just not how it works. So let me say it in a more direct way, probably a way that Jesus would have said it. Hypocrisy is an abomination. Amen? Can we agree? It is just as much an abomination for me as it is for everybody else in the room. And one of the worst places that we can be in life regarding ourselves is blind. Blind to our own actions and the thoughts that we have, blind to the way that our sins actually affect those around us and blind to the idea 
that people don't even know that we're manipulating the measurements. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guys, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. It's one of my favorite phrases. Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, woe to you hypocrites. But the hypocrites were the people who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders in their world, but they weren't. They were actually leveraging their knowledge of the law and using it for their own gain and benefit. But I want you to notice how Jesus compares it, because it's actually really interesting here. He says that you know how to give your offerings, but it's actually the weightier things that you've ignored. So maybe it isn't just that we're manipulating the weights, but perhaps we are giving more of the offerings, hoping that they weigh out the same. But the warning from Jesus is that they, they, they don't. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness will always outweigh church attendance, tithes, and gifts. And if you can see through someone else trying to mask their unfaithfulness with their good deeds, why would you try to do the same thing? And why would you think nobody else would notice? This is the warning. The way that you judge, just know, you will be judged the same way. But there is another way that we unjustly judge ourselves, and I don't want to skip it. There's this little subtle arrogance, this sense of pride, this sense of self-importance that many Christians have. It's not that they think that they're more righteous than others. It's that they think they're the worst sinner that's ever lived. And you may think, well, that doesn't sound too prideful. That doesn't sound too arrogant. But I want you to think about this. There are some people who unjustly judge themselves in such a way that they actually think that they are too sinful, they are too unworthy, they are too unclean for God's mercy. Why is that prideful? Why is that mismanaging the scales? Because what you say in that is that you are undermining that Christ's work is effective for you. Christ's work can work for everybody else, but not me. I'm too simple. I'm too unclean. I'm too imperfect. I'm too unworthy. You think you're that important? You really think the work of Christ is ineffective for you? Of course not. And that's what I mean by balance. You know how self-absorbed you've got to be to think that God's grace and mercy applies to everybody else but you? It's those Christians who think that everything bad that's going to go wrong is going to happen to them. 
That's not balance. And that's not humility. It's arrogance. You are not the shining light of the world. It rains on the just as well as the unjust. You just got to figure out where you fit in that. God is not punishing or judging you any harsher than he is anybody else. And just to think that he is, is to in some degree say that you don't really deserve it. So the first point is I unjustly judge myself. The second one is I unjustly judge others. I think you probably saw the natural transition to this one coming. But it is connected to how we judge ourselves. When sin is most prevalent in our lives, we become what I like to call fault finders. What does that mean? It means that because we are so afraid of our own sins being found out that we quickly point out the sins of other people so that nobody else will notice that I'm harboring my own sin. I remember I was real good at this in middle school. I mean, it's middle school. I was short. I had bad skin. And so the only thing I could do is like, shot or be shot. And so I'm just coming out shooting. Because the reality is, I figured if I could jump on somebody else's flaws or insecurities that I could attack them so quickly that no one could actually see my own. And I think I know that we have a tendency to do that as Christians as well. I know I will never be perfect. I know that I will never be sinless. But there is that fear, especially when you are harboring deeply rooted, very specific struggles with sin that you've had for a long time. Out of fear of being found out, the second you think anybody looks less sinful than you, you've got to find the sin. And you become a glorified excavator trying to look through their old posts and look through their life and, hey, you know so-and-so and such-and-such. Such. What, you, what you think about them? And you will get down to the nitty-gritty until you find something. But the reason you do that is not to prove just that they're sinful. It is also in some sort of way to let yourself off the hook. Oh, okay, good. Yes, they did this 20 years ago. Great. At least I know I'm not the only one who's doing it. When you judge people in this way and when you are fault-finding, you are not looking for growth and sanctification in your own life. You're looking for a reason to not grow. You're looking for a reason to stay just where you are, just as you are. This usually plays out like this. I didn't realize I had Sheila in my notes, so Sheila is back. So it's, I can't believe Sheila lied on her taxes. You can't. You lie on your taxes every year, but you can't believe Sheila did it. I can't believe Mike was messaging another woman like that. You, you can't. You don't think Mike be doing the same thing you be doing? Oh, no, it was just innocent when you did it. I got it. Y'all, when we do that, we are doing the reverse of what I just mentioned, where sometimes I feel like God's grace and mercy doesn't apply to me. I can also think or even hope 
that it doesn't apply for others the way it applies for me. See, the thing is that because of our fear, the fear that we are so far worse off than others, we fought fine to make them appear, appear to be worse than they are. And it leads us to maligning them, to slandering them, to belittling them. And often this doesn't happen in their face, but to others when they're not around. And in this moment, you may be thinking of ways that you've been personally hurt or affected by this, but I don't want you to think about how that's affected you. I want you to think about how you've probably done this. How when you were probably angry and frustrated with your own sin, with your own failures and your own shortcomings, how even if you never said anything to anybody else in your heart and in your mind, you fought, searched, and you hated and you despised people because your wrestle was with your own sinfulness. Can you think of any times that you've done this? I mean, I can for myself. And these aren't, by the way, just random sins either. These are what I want to be worse versions of sins than what I've committed. So, no, you don't just start pouring out other sins in people. You need to find the exact thing that you know you are guilty of, but in them it just needs to be a slightly worse version of what you do. And then you feel justified. Y'all, the Bible says that this is an abomination. And in this case, we are actually more like Satan than God. Because it is not Christians who are accusers, but rather it is Satan who is the accuser of the brethren. He is the fault finder. He is the accuser because his very nature is sin. So if I find myself slipping into this line of thinking, then I need to look into myself and make sure that there is not some sin I'm trying to cover up. But I also may need to look for reasons that I'm discontent with life. Because in the same way that sin makes me fault fine, so does discontentment with life. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not who I want to be. I'm not doing what I want to do. And when I see people who, just based on appearance, are where they want to be, who they want to be, are doing what they want to do, it makes me hate them. <laughs> if we're being honest. And discontentment, by the way, is also sin. But then, there's this other way. I probably look out in the world, I probably see others, and I probably think to myself, see, they're getting more grace than I am. Anybody who got any prosperous drug dealing neighbors have felt this way. They get more grace than I am. But what is grace 
what is mercy in this temporal world compared to grace and mercy for all of eternity? There really is no comparison. And the Bible instructs us, if, if you wonder why the, prosper, the wicked prosper in the world, even for a short amount of time, it is actually God's patience. He's actually allowing them, even if it's a distorted small glimpse of eternity, he's giving them that little small glimpse in this life. I'm saying this for the people who might be frustrated when the wicked do well. What if they're only doing well now? Because they're going to be well done later. And what if the way I scale and balance and weigh things out, what if that ain't the way God does it? What if God's plan for us is so far ahead of us, what he's preparing for us, that even if it lasts 20 years, 20 years of hell compared to an eternity of blessing? That's some pretty good justice, I think. And I say that because I don't want anybody in here to think, well, I'm not frustrated because of sin. I don't know why I'm frustrated. Maybe that's it. But when you think that God is giving people grace and mercy that he doesn't give you, that you think that other people are getting away with stuff that you don't get away with, not only is that an abomination to think that, but it is also an assault on God's nature and character. Because what it says is that God does not justly judge and that he ignores the sins of others. And he overemphasizes my own sins. But remember, even in Job's struggle, one of his self-righteous complaints was that I don't know why the wicked prosper. And at times, it can feel like that. And that's what leads us to our final point, number three. I unjustly view myself. I unjustly view others. But I also unjustly view the world. For a long time, and for many of us, I think there has been this pessimistic hell-in-a-handbasket view of the world around us. And let me just be clear. The world and the system that gardens the world, it is against God. We know that. There's no doubt about that. I'm not changing that. But, but I, I do want to be clear. I think it's a dangerous stance that many Christians have taken that the world needs to just get exactly what they deserve. And many Christians are relishing in the coming judgment for unbelievers. Can't wait for the day for Jesus to come back and get them. But look at what Jesus' message was. Woe to you. It was a warning to bring them to repentance. 
And how did he do that? By being among the people. Not by reclining alone in his house, but reclining in the world with the very people he came to save, even when the religious elite said that he shouldn't be doing that. It's not enough to just be against something. You've also got to be for something. And as Christians, we've got to be for repentance and renewal and redemption more than we are against the people in the world. Got to. Because that's what Jesus' mission was. And if the God of the world, who knows all and sees all, who knows intents, who knows motivations, is not by one iota hindered from spending intimate time with people who didn't even like him. Who do you think you are? He saw the world as it was with a balanced view. Of course, the world in Jesus' eyes is going to hell because it doesn't have me. What did the world need? It needed him. That was the only thing that was changing the course of individual lives. And if you're in this room and you say you're a Christian, then that is your testimony as well. That's the only thing that changed the course of your life as well. Jesus. And I am personally grateful that no one ever fixed me where I was and said I would never be. But that even in what they saw, they fulfilled the mission of Christ. How I view myself and how I view the world are important to my effectiveness in this world. And because I believe that the world is unjustly set up against me, I have no investment or even a belief that it can get better with my participation as a Christian. But what if I told you that not only is the world set up to go against you, but even the people in the world who think they're leveraging it are set up to go against them too. As we have said before, this is not a physical issue. This is a spiritual issue because of the evil that exists in our world. But even as we look into the world, yes, maybe we see that the world deserves judgment. But there is no way, if you are who you say you are, that you can look out in the world and say that world deserves judgment and not think the same thing about yourself. It's impossible. So even if I look into the world and see that it deserves judgments. I've also got to acknowledge that all of my thoughts, all of my intentions, all of my ways, all of my conversations are not as pure as I want to say that they are. But by the grace of God, 
And so maybe as we think in this season, as I close, as we think in this season, what did Jesus come to do? He came to save sinners. Yes, we know. But it also said that he came to be an orchestrator of justice. That the government itself would be placed upon his shoulders. And that those who were truly followers and disciples of him would seek to promote justice as much as possible. And I'm telling you, many of us think that pursuing justice is an external issue. But I, I really think we need to start with ourselves first. How can I go out into the world and call the world out for its unrighteousness and its injustice and not also be doing the same thing for myself? Because you know what's going to happen the second we go out there and demand justice? For a world, in a way that we're not doing for ourselves, you know what they're going to call us? Hypocrites. <laughs> they're going to call us hypocrites. And so what I want you to think about is in this imbalanced world where justice is not reigning, we have to start by being honest believers, believers who are not even letting themselves off of the hook when it comes to wrong or partiality, or sin. Because when we work hard, y'all, really to clean us up, we really work hard to excavate all of our lives, then we can clearly call out injustice around us. Or you probably know it this way. If you get that beam out of your eye, he doesn't say just get the beam out your eye and then leave your brother alone. He doesn't say that. He says, first, get the beam out of your eye so that you can clearly see how to get the issue or the infirmity out of your brother's eye. And that's the same call for us. Living in an, unjust, an unjust and imbalanced world, yes, we want to address it. We want to see it redeemed. But it starts with us. It starts with our own personal sanctification and devotion God, and when our conscience is clear, then we're not just fault finding, but we're trying to help others in the same way that we have been helped by the grace and mercy of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for the word. God, we do thank you um, even in the midst of an, an unjust world, even in the midst of injustice. God, it starts with us. It starts in us. We are not perfect beacons of light. We have not done it all right. We have not been all right. But you, in your perfect justice and in your ways, you have called us to repentance so that we can call out the world and witness to it and be in it and participate with clean hands and pure hearts. Lord, that is undoubtedly a challenge for us, but my prayer for every single one of us that is in this room, God, that you would position us to be able to do what you have called us to do, 
to be well-balanced Christians who can exist in the world where people can have real conversations with us and don't feel like we're weirdos or creeps or don't understand, but that we're real, authentic people who know what it means to be forgiven, that you increase our effectiveness in the world. God, I pray this for Christians universally, but I pray this for us, God, as a body of believers, that we would strengthen our our wherewithal together, that we would be present with each other, that we would come together, even in a city like Tarrant, God, where we've got so much opportunity. But I'm reminded of the text that tells us harvest is plentiful. We just don't have enough laborers, God. And so my prayer is, if there's something in us that is stopping us from laboring, whether it's sin or discontentment, whatever it may be, God, I pray that you would help us deal with that. Clean us up, strengthen us in you so that we can do the work that you've called us to do. God, I pray that you will send us laborers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.